Oh, Megan, there's a video, a pop-up video of Megan Trainer came up on azlyrics.com. <laughs> and I genuinely thought it was Jenny Slate in costume for a Kroll show sketch. <laughs> because Megan Trainer is a caricature of herself. Oh my god. Insert theme song here. Hey kids, spelling is fun. Girl, there ain't no I in team, but you know there isn't me. <laughs> With that charming lyric, welcome to Warp to Remember. Welcome. I'm Zoe. I'm joined by Rachel the Gorgeous. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and we're here today to talk all things Warp Tour and some really exciting news today. We are going to feature our first band, do an entire episode solely dedicated to a band. And today's episode is dedicated to Panic at the Disco, which if you're already rolling your eyes, stop. There is a reason why we picked Panic, and Rachel will explain further later. Um, But we normally, this podcast is here to look back at the history of Warp Tour, all 25 years of it, look at the bands, the scene, what was happening on the tour, how it progressed throughout the years. That's kind of half of our uh, aim with this podcast. The other half is to just talk about the music that we loved, why we loved it, how it shaped us, what cultural impacts it had, uh, who were maybe some people that never got the credit they deserved, who got too much credit. So that's why we do this. It's a passion project for us. We love it so much. Um, I highly suggest going out and checking our other episodes. We just put out the History of 1998's tour. We also talked about the songs of 98. Um, And if you're really unfamiliar with the whole scene in general, check out our episode, Genre Genre Lasagna. I can never, ever say it. Genre Lasagna. Thank you. We go in and talk a lot about specifics and kind of define some things. Um, so if you're if you're curious and you want a place to start, I suggest that episode. I promise you we're going to talk a lot about some sub-genres today. So that would be some excellent additional listening. There you go. Um, hit us who, up on our social medias. Who got too much credit? Oh. <laughs> Do we Different have episodes. the time? Different episodes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, who got too much mm. I mean, I think some would say probably Panic, so that might Panic be. never played Warp Tour. Panic never played Warp Tour? We'll get See, into this it. is why we we'll do get this, friends. <laughs> this is literally why we do this. Rachel did the research this week. Because this is, this. we would do this, at just the two of us, but yeah. we decided, why not record this and make y'all listen to it? So, yep. And by y'all, I mean Danny Steinberg exclusively, our number one listener. <laughs> And my roommates, my really <laughs> wonderful roommates, who, first of all, shout out to Kara and Steph. Thank you for letting us record at our apartment. And also, thank you for listening to us. If you are interested in communicating with us and telling us your thoughts and feelings, you can do so on our social medias. We're on Instagram, Facebook, MySpace, and Twitter. Everything is at Warped Remember, except for Twitter. It's at uh, Warped Number Two Remember. Um, Search us. It's not hard. Yeah, really. Um, We're all there. Tell us how you feel. Send us, send us some people are gonna get mad at me i'm gonna say gifs people are gonna get mad at me but like send us some because pop punk gifs gifs they're fun there's some fun ones please or you know dm me there you go personally slide slide, slide into rachel and elkin's dms that's for next week (laughs) or is it the one before i don't know how we're gonna release it we're doing a sexy episode and that's when i will especially there you go slide into the dms baby (laughs) we've gone off track completely Okay. okay 
So for this week, like I said, we are featuring our first band. This whole episode is going to be about Panic at the Disco. Never fear, though, if you're like, God, why? It's going to be interesting, I promise. Even if you hate Panic, girl, I'll give you some more ammunition. I'll give you some some new perspective. Ooh, that was a pun. Because they have a song called yeah. New Perspective. I'm uh-huh. funny. <laughs> but, like, we're going to get into it. Rachel's going to kick us off. So, Rachel, where are we starting? Yeah, so <laughs> you led me in perfectly. Um, yeah, our podcast is called Warp to Remember. Like, we use Warp Tour as a lens for a lot of what we do here. Um, that I think Warp Tour and the Warp Tour compilations that were released every year are a great barometer of like where pop punk was. Um, but it's also extremely limited because a band like Panic of the Disco, who are so prolific, they were signed to Field by Ramen, which Field by Ramen is a record label that's a mainstay of Warp Tour and historically always has been. Um, and yet they've never, ever played Warp Tour. Um, they apparently, I did a quick Google, so don't fact check me, but Brendan Urie performed at the Warp Tour 15th anniversary party, but he was billed as part of the DK Dance All-Stars, which is part of the record label he's on. Oh. Um, yeah. So Panic, like, never formally played Warp Tour, nor did Panic even play this Warp Tour party. It was just Brendan. wild. I had no idea they didn't play. Yeah. I just assumed. It just feels right, right? Yeah. They were too... We'll get into it. They were too fucking famous, baby. They were doing international tours from, like, day one. So, um... Anyway, long story long, I was really excited about this. Zoe was really excited about this. Panic of the Disco is a band that we both talk about a lot, that we both grew up with, that I think both of us really saw through from their inception onward. I did, at least. Kind of. You were, like, into them by, like, 06, right? Yeah, I mean, I was very much a part of their first album. Yeah, 05, uh, And then I, like, fell off the map until about two years ago. So. That's fair. But we, yeah. both, we both were into them at their inception, was my yes. point. And we both yeah. have a lot of sweet mems about this, as opposed to, for new listeners, I don't know why you jump in with just this episode, I guess you're Brendan Stan, <laughs> but for new, ep- for new oh, listeners, Brandon Yuri specifically, we've done <laughs> a lot of... Um, We've done a lot of the history of Warp Tour. We take it year by year, and we'll do a special history episode every month that features a year of Warp Tour. And currently, we're, we just finished 1998, as Zoe mentioned, and we were children, slash, I was an infant um, at that time. So I'm really, part of me was really stoked to do Panic also because, like, I lived it. I was there. I was finally, like, around and conscious and, like, bought the merch, the, like, from when they came out, from, like, when they were a thing. Panic's also really interesting because of their beginnings, which I'll get into now. I chime in with a haven't seen people ever heard of Closing a goddamn door, no It's much better to face these kinds of things With a sense of voice and rationality They were formed by Ryan Ross on vocals and guitar and Spencer Smith on drums in 2004. These are these sweet boys are from Vegas and they formed this band when they were freshmen in high school in Vegas in 2004. They then recruited Brent Wilson, who went to a different high school um, to play bass. And then they found Brendan Urie. So he was actually the last oh. to enter. And a la Fallout Boy, very funny, because the same thing happened with Fallout Boy. Brendan was originally not supposed to be lead vocals. Ryan was. Oh. And then Brendan did backup vocals and they're like, ooh. He's got he, sh- he should be the lead. 
so the band kind of all decided Brendan Urie was just supposed to play guitar originally and then they decided that he would be the front man oh yeah it sounds for all intents and purposes it sounds like that was like a choice that they all made together and there wasn't any bad blood and Ryan does sing on some of the tracks he has his own track on their second album um and I don't think there was any bad blood there as far as I could tell right but first they also here's what's wild they originally began their life as a Blink-182 cover band. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that so fun? I, how though? Like They were pop punk boys. They really were. They loved. Little Ryan Ross was like, let's do some Blink. Oh. Well, here's the thing. We'll get into it after I get past this intro. Um, eventually you'll find that Ryan, especially I would argue, but all of them had really wide music taste. And that was, I think that benefited them and that kind of pigeonholed them for a while in a weird way. Uh-huh. They never really found a home within the scene. Yeah. They weren't sure. ever quite an emo band. They weren't ever quite a pop punk band. They never played Warp Tour, which would have <gasps> been the logical home for them. Yeah. They never really had a home. They were always kind of their own Aww, thing. The they had a lot of mentors and they toured with a lot of really great bands that I'll get to later, but... That's part of why I was so interested in them, because even though they never played Warp Tour, I feel like they fit within the culture of this, for better and for worse, because they're a bunch of white boys from Vegas who started a band, and they originally started as Blink-182 cover band. They were like very into the roots of pop punk, but then they really deviated from all of that in a major way, really from day one. So that just, to me, embodies everything that Warped embodies, where we talk about Warped and how crazy the lineups have been and how many different kinds of genres and bands have come through over the years. I think Panic is a beautiful representation of that, despite never having played Warp Tour. That's wild. But you'll see when I get through it, they were busy. They were little lost boys to start yeah. them. So a huge part of their growth was that they really focused on like a dance kind of synthy yes. keyboard vibe from the beginning. Yeah. So they pretty de- they deviated pretty quick from the Blink-182 traditional pop punk kind of pattern. Back up. Who played keys? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> that's so interesting. So nobody was billed as the lead keyboardist, probably. Even though it's but like, I don't know. All that. the research I have just lists them as like guitar, drums, vocals. That's wild because but I also thought very, Ryan very Ross played. He probably did played keys because like that's so interesting because they are like a, a heavy piano driven band. Right. They still are, especially. I think the they all do it. I don't know. Brendan definitely plays keys because he like literally plays piano on tour, but. I I don't know for sure who was in charge of it. But part of what really set them apart, especially in Vegas at that time, this was, you know, 04, 05, the Vegas music scene was largely death metal, which I did not know. (laughs) So they really were set apart very quickly because they were not only were they not death metal, they were so not death metal. Oh, yeah, really. So they really garnered attention really quickly. Wow. Yeah. The only, I read this vaguely. Someone mentioned, I was reading an article on The Guardian from back in the day, and they mentioned very briefly, oh, and MTV, I used MTV a lot. Um, They mentioned really briefly that they had beef with the killers, who are also from Vegas. Yeah, I remember that. But then they didn't say anything, and there were no links to it. So I was too lazy to do a deeper dive, but apparently they had beef with the killers, which makes total sense I vaguely remember that, yeah. Yeah, because the killers were always kind of alternative and never really fit into one kind of area and I could easily see Panic and the Killers like yeah. being similar but different. Yeah. Um so anyway, 
they started this little band in 04 and then they quickly started to make their own songs obviously and they put their first original demos online so their first original demos are songs that are featured on their first album time to dance nails for breakfast tax for snacks and commissado commissado oh yeah i tried to look up the pronunciation and every link pronounced it differently right. i was very annoyed it's a military tactic. I learned that. Oh. Commissado, commissado, whatever you want to call it. Those were their three um, original demos. And they all ended up, which is rare that I loved, they all ended up on their first album. Yeah. Uh, but they posted those online. And then on a whim, through live journal, Walls sent their demos to Pete Wentz, the bassist of Fall Out Boy. <laughs> this is truly, I couldn't make this shit up. Oh my God. I couldn't make this shit up, my dude. So through Live Journal, on a whim, they reached out to Pete Wentz, who at the time was in LA recording Fall Out Boy's first major label release. It's actually their second album, but From Under the Cork Tree is their first mm. major label release, and they were working on it in LA at the time. So Pete just drove out to Vegas to meet these boys and have them play oh. for him wow yeah so it worked out in a big way yeah and so per ryan ross there were a bunch of quotes in an interview so this is all per ryan ross who was the original bassist slash supporting vocals of the band he said that they literally played two maybe three songs and then pete was like cool i want to sign you wow yeah did pete even have the label by so field by roman was already pre-existing and dk dance was new dk branch dk dance is a branch of field by ramen and it was a newer branch that he was promoting so he was like here's these young bloods perfect for my project perfect for this so famously panic of the disco was signed to a label without ever having played a live show i mean but what is that wild on Pete Wentz. That is wild. Yeah. No, that's like, A, it's unheard of. Pete Wentz of. is fucking brilliant. Yeah. It's unheard of even now. Yeah. And like. Even with I've, the hype machine and with Twitter yeah. and SoundCloud and shit like that. I mean, it's still bonkers. Yeah. That Pete Wentz was like, yeah, this is going to be the thing. I mean, what a, I, it doesn't even sound well, like it was a gamble if, in his If part. the timing didn't line up right Wait, and they were on like the next album even, if, if Fall Out Boy was like recording Infinity on High. Would he have ever seen that live journal? Perhaps not. No. The timing worked out perfectly. It was a huge gamble on Pete's part, I would argue. Because, sure. well, so he promoted them really heavily. Gotcha. The internet fucking hated Panic at the Disco. Yeah. Because <laughs> all these punk kids were like, fuck this band. They have two songs online ever. None of us like them. And they got signed without ever playing live. Like, fuck them. They suck. So a lot of struggle. And then meanwhile, Pete's wearing Pete exclamation point at the disco t-shirts while he's touring he's talking about them in interviews all the time Smart, and yeah he famously know. said i mean i'm paraphrasing but he famously said in an interview like there's this new band called panic at the disco their new album's gonna come out you're gonna love it buy it before your little brother does because they're cool as shit and you're gonna miss out was like essentially his shtick yeah i mean to like to the credit of everybody hearing about this at the time like, I vaguely remember this a little bit of hearing about this new band that was coming up and everybody was like, oh, they're really cool. But they, I can see why it pissed people off of like, like mm-hmm. they didn't, you had to, there's like that paying your dues idea, right. it, especially in punk, definitely in pop punk, definitely in the emo scene. Like, you know, cause you have to like, they, you watch people work so hard and slog it out for so long to finally get signed. To well, and reminder that all of them were in high school. 
That was the other thing is that they were so, so young. They were all so young. Children, essentially. Yeah. To just like get handed this thing where like adults had been at it for 10 years, five, 10 years and hadn't gotten any kind of. Yeah. Well, and especially where they came up in Vegas where there's all these death metal bands who are like really struggling and trying to make it work. And then this rando, like dancey, right. weird, non-genre band just gets plucked out of high school and main mainstream right away and especially to have done that through social media which was not a thing right really well in the one of the articles i was reading i think it was an mtv article said like this is the stuff of myspace lore but it really did happen here's the quotes and then like listing it out because i mean this panic was a huge myspace band because these like weird fringe kind of emo kids queer kids were in there talking about it and they're like can you believe like this is the stuff of legends <laughs> can you believe after the after the fact of the like initial like yeah. shitty pop punk gatekeepers being mad they found this whole fan base of like can you believe whisper whisper this is crazy yeah. you know yeah true 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 so fast track fast forward a little bit literally like maybe like a month they record their first album in five and a half weeks of non-stop sessions oh, that's so exhausting so they all drop out of school Yep. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Ross was a little bit older. I think he was at a community college at the time. At some point within like the first album coming out and them starting to tour, Ryan Ross left his community college or his college, and his parents were pretty pissed about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all worked out. I'll get to that. And then Brendan, like I said, was recruited originally just to play guitar. <laughs> and then they're like, Surprise! no, baby, you got pipes. <laughs> you got pipes, you in. Brendan Urie was raised Mormon. Yes. And missed yeah. like a decent amount of band practices to go to church early on. And so he decided to drop out of high school to pursue music and his parents kicked him out of the house. Yeah. I remember so that. he lived, um, he couch surfed for a while and then he lived in an apartment that he paid for by working at a smoothie shop while all of this was happening. They really gambled it all on this. And then all of a sudden they drop out of school. They're sent to Maryland to record this album that they didn't have written. <laughs> Oh my God. So they had like three, those three demos. And then they just had to like write and record these songs nonstop for five and a half weeks. So it was nonstop sessions. It was like 12 to 16 hour days. The band lived in a one bedroom apartment with bunk beds during this time. Oh my God. The lost boys, the lost boys. So they had very few songs written and they had to make the album from scratch during those studio sessions. Yeah. I mean, nonstop for five and a half weeks. So, because of this, because of this kind of format of how they recorded, the album ended up being split into two. As you know, there's an intermission in the middle. There's an introduction and an intermission. The first half before the intermission is more dance music with drum machines and keyboards. And then as they were recording these things, they got kind of bored with it. So the second half features vaudeville piano, accordion, a lot of live instruments. And that's the, you know, aesthetically they sound like they're cohesive to me yes. personally. Yeah. But when you really break it down, they're completely different halves. Yeah. And I, I get that. And the first album was called? A Fear You Can't Sweat Out. Sorry. No, no, no. I... <laughs> Should have let in with that. So what that, those five and a half yes. weeks became A Fear You Can't Sweat Out, which is their first album. To sit back and relapse again. I 
a huge part of them finding their sound, Ryan Ross attributes to film scores, specifically to uh, Danny Elfman and uh, John Bryan. Uh, uh, yeah, so Danny Elfman okay. and John Bryan were huge influences on them, and they took a more cinematic scope yeah. when they did this album, which I think is very bold and very smart for these like young kids to just kind of go with what they like hearing and yeah. then taking on this huge undertaking of like yeah. we like these film scores, let's make an album like yeah. that. Very interesting. So they pretty instantly found success. The album was released, A Fever You Can't Sweat Out, was released on September 27th of 2005. The rest of 2005 was spent touring on the Nintendo Fusion Tour. So they toured alongside Fall Out Boy, who were their mentors, Motion City Soundtrack, The Starting Line, and Boys Night Out. That's a great Yeah. So they were like the top, uh, I don't know how many pop punk shows you went to where there were like five acts. Yeah. I went to many. Usually, they were yeah. the very first one. If you haven't been to one of these shows, like those five acts, it was very much a hierarchy. Yes. Like out, Warp Tour wasn't the tour itself, but if you went to a show outside of Warp Tour, it really was. Like you went for the It was headliner. a who's who of who came before. Yes. I just remember being scandalized that Newfound Glory opened for Paramore cool. when I was in high school. It was wild to me. Yeah. So you would see, but the cool thing was like sometimes, at least in my hometown in Missouri, it was like sometimes that first act was a local band, which was always really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, But the cool thing was like, you'd go see the headliner and then six months later, whoever was like maybe the second or third act would be the headliner. Right. So it was a pretty quick progression you could kind of see how the scene moved because yeah. if you went to all these shows you could really just track everybody well, literally months apart yeah like, so in the case of panic at the disco they were the first act of a five act yeah. lineup oh the best those were the best nights my months friends. later months later yeah they announced a headlining tour holy shit the music video for i write sins not tragedies which is their most well-known and also at the time their single, their only single, yeah. but is now their most well-known single to this day. It was released four months later um, gotcha. from when the album... So the album was released in late September. The music video was released four months later. And then by March of 2006, they announced a headlining tour. So the video really skyrocketed them to fame. That's actually how I came to know them. Yeah. VH1's Top 20 Countdown. Yeah. Shout out. I voted for them every week. <laughs> so that, so mainstreamed, mainlined so fast into success. So January through May of 2006 was spent supporting The Academy Is on tour. I so they were the, the opening Academy act is. for The Academy that Is. That makes sense. Yeah, so they went from this like lowest on the totem pole five act tour yeah. to opening directly for the Academy is two headlining. Wow. Within a year. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in May of 2006, this was like about when they finished with the Academy is they formally announced that the bassist Brent Wilson left the band and they didn't give any details. They just, they like released a very like formal and professional, like he is no longer in the band statement. And then he was officially replaced by John Walker. I love John Walker. He's a gem and he's hot. But yeah, so John Walker, who old school Panic of the Disco fans know as John Walker being in the original lineup, we think of him as the bassist. Right. You know. But Wilson then tells MTV, the guy who got kicked out, Brent Wilson, told MTV that he was, quote, kicked out of the band via phone call. And allegedly the whole band was on speakerphone, but Ross and Yuri were silent and Spencer Smith did all the talking. Which actually, it sounds like I'll get more. You'll see it as I like develop more of this. It sounds like Spencer was kind of the the leader of everyone and kind of the peacemaker, which was really interesting. Yeah, because you always when you think of Panic, you think of like Ryan Ross and Brendan Murray being these big forces. Yeah. yeah. But it sounds like 
through most of their history of being a band, Spencer was the one to like make the decisions and be the mouthpiece. And he released some really, I think for being so young, especially, he released some really great statements. I'm sure he had help, obviously, but still very impressive, especially for a band that was just like rocketed to fame after they dropped out of high school, you know? Yeah. But then Smith, Spencer Smith, writes an email to MTV in response to this, citing that Wilson did not write or play any bass on the album and did not contribute musically to the band. On the album itself, Yuri played bass. Isn't that wild? That is. I think they, like, tag-teamed it a little bit, but they cite Yuri is playing bass on the album. So, like, Brent, you didn't perform on the album at all, and you didn't write shit. So, was he not in Maryland? What the hell was he doing in Maryland, though? I don't know. I think he just, like, hung out. I don't know. Unclear. Isn't that wild? This is juicy. (laughs) So then, with all of that in mind, so Brent Wilson's gone. He threatened to sue for royalties, and they're like, but you didn't write anything. We don't owe you shit. Right. I don't know how that all... I think that fizzled out as far as I could tell. But that'll happen. John Walker joins the band, and then they begin their first headlining national tour in June of 06. So it was about a, what, a year? Less than. Their very first album was released late September. Right. And they start a national headlining tour in June of the following year. And when did they reach out to... Uh, Unclear. Oh, okay. <laughs> Unclear. Gotcha, I think gotcha, like gotcha. early of five. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. We're looking at like essentially a year, maybe. Yeah. But from them having months. like a handful of demos that they sent to somebody, it's a calendar year. That's insane. And they're that doesn't eighteen happen. years old. Yeah. It that just it, crazy. It does not happen. Crazy. That's wild. Right. I'm surprised Brendan Mary's not more fucked up. Yeah. No. 100. Because he's essentially a child star. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they begin their first national tour in June, which ran through August. Um, There was... (laughs) This fact makes me kind of sad, but it also makes me laugh. There was a huge amount of bottling on tour. Like, people threw bottles at them a lot. Like, a lot. That it was kind of a problem. So much so that Brendan Urie got knocked out on stage. Oh, damn. Yeah. So there's this, like, famous story they tell about how someone threw a bottle and it hit Brendan in the temple and he fell and he passed out. And everyone thought he was dead. And he woke up and he's like, well, this is weird. You guys should keep playing. Give me a moment. And the band kept playing. And then he got up and did the whole set. And then they turned the crowd and got the crowd on their side. Isn't that crazy? So then, fast forward, A Fever You Can't Sweat Out is certified platinum by August of 2006. So less than a full calendar year after its release, it's certified platinum. This doesn't happen. And their music video won Video of the Year at the 2006 MTV VMAs. They were the most nominated, they were one of the most nominated groups or performers. They were literally um, nominated five times for VMAs, for different VMAs. More than Beyonce and Kanye put together. Oh my god. Yeah. And I think there were, I think Shakira and Madonna had seven noms. So Shakira and Madonna like led in. This is for 06. Yeah. And then Panic was right below. Holy shit. Isn't that insane? It is. Right? It's unheard of. Yeah. So then they go into their second headlining tour. Really pull out all the stops. Yeah. I, if I could go back in time, baby, Ooh. because they did a whole like Moulin Rouge vibe. They shot yes. people out of cannons. They had a touring, <laughs> they had a touring group of circus performers with them on stage and they shot people oh out of cannons. Oh How God. fun is that? So there was a lot of press about them, positive and negative, because there's no one like them. They're so 
borderline campy. Yeah. And they don't really fit a genre. And emo, some emo kids really liked them, but a lot of emo kids kind of rejected them because they weren't really emo traditionally. They never really were. Right. They were a little bit gothic, but gothic, not goth. They were like gothic in terms of, in my opinion, of like the art and the architecture and yeah. like the vibe. But they had this vaudevillian thing yeah. going on, with, especially with the first album. They never really fit anywhere. They were always their own thing. Very theatrical. Yeah. Very, but clearly the proof is in the pudding because... They rocketed to fame so quickly. They fit in the mainstream. Yeah. 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 So the band's second headlining tour was dubbed Nothing Rhymes with Circus. <laughs> that was the name. <laughs> it began in November. So in roughly one year, Panic! at the Disco went from being the opening act on a five-band bill to the headliners on a massive arena tour. I'm not talking like a little dainty national tour. Arenas. I'm the narrator and this is just a So fast forward a little more, they finally, you know, major success of this album, major success of their music video, their single, their platinum. Mm -hmm. They're still wee boys. Yeah. They're still like 19 years old. So they finally take a break after nonstop touring to kind of gather their thoughts and start formulating ideas for a new album in the winter of 06. This takes us to Pretty Odd. Yeah. Their second album. Sorry we've been gone We were busy writing songs for you Very famous, very divisive The band's second album was described by them I think this was a quote by Smith As being, quote, more organic and mellower End quote Than their first, which is fair They wrote three-fourths of a totally different album first at like the top of 07 and then scrapped it completely and started over with what would become Pretty Odd, which I didn't know. I'm like, where are those demos? I know. I don't know. So they actually returned home. There was a big homecoming because they recorded Pretty Odd in the Palms, Las Vegas in October of 2007. So they kind of took their time after this nonstop tour coming together from like January to October to like get all these songs kind of in order and find a new sound. They focused on more traditional songwriting styles this time. They, in the process of writing them, they used pretty much exclusively an acoustic guitar and vocals to get the songs written, as opposed to what they did before. And they tragically, in my opinion, dropped the exclamation point from their name and rebranded with a new logo, and they ditched the exclamation point. It was very sad. The exclamation point returns, though. And I still type it that way painstakingly every day of my life. Yeah. So here's where I'm going to bring the room down a little. Pretty Odd, which I didn't know until, like, this week, was heavily influenced by the death of Ryan Ross's father in 2006. So while all of this was happening, his his dad dad died. So his dad was former military. He wasn't super close with him for a big chunk of his life. They were at odds quite a bit. Um, He had a complicated relationship with his mother as well. It sounds like, based on what I was reading, that he and his father fully reconciled before his father died, which was good. His father struggled with alcoholism, I believe. Mm. Um, so I'm unclear what the cause of death was, but I'm assuming it was complications related to that. 
but his parents told him to like pursue his life and do his thing they basically gave him their blessing to like go do this shit and like live his life and not worry about them um and by the time his father died they had already reconciled so the experience this whole experience brought the band closer together too because this was in the thick of it all and this is a quote from this guardian article they realized they didn't want to be a magnet for the gloom laden their whole career and chose a different approach to life quote enjoy it while you can that shift is most apparent in pretty odds almost straightforwardly love oriented lyrics so that's from a guardian article by dave simpson in case you want to read it It came out in 2008 it's pretty interesting write-up about it's pretty in-depth too about like these issues so they were actually largely inspired by the by the death of Ross's father. And as opposed to writing like a death oriented album, they're like, no, we're going to totally shift gears. We're going to look on the bright side of life and make this like folksy, fun, retro album. And they also were heavily influenced by the Beatles. Very, very much like the Beatles in sound and scope, this album. So pretty odd was released on March 21st of 2008. It debuted at number two on the billboard 200 and there was more critical acclaim on the second album, but less sales. So mm-hmm. actually yeah. famously, I think it was Kerrang. There's like a rock, like an alt rock publication famously um, named Panic at the Disco, the worst band and the best band in the same year. Yeah. <laughs> there were like, people were all over the place with yeah. this, but much more critical acclaim with this like Beatles-like I album. No it. one really knew what to do with their like dance music on a critical scale. Yeah. But noticeable shift in terms of fan engagement and sales. There yeah. were significantly less sales. Yeah. It still did well, but much less. Yeah. Which is makes total sense to me at least. Yeah. So it, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, Pretty Odd is straight up like a folksy Beatlesy sounding yeah. album. It sounds very nothing different. Like their first album. The first album is very dance music, synthy, yeah. bass lines, like yeah. and very vaudevillian very burlesque kind of aesthetic yeah. whereas pretty odd is literally them wearing like little vests and growing out their beards and like yeah. they literally wove like flowers and leaves around their mic yeah. stands and stuff oh my god cause it's not in the afternoon and your eyes are the size of the moon you good cause you can so you do we're feeling so good just the way that we do when it's not in the So they totally switched gears and intentionally so. Uh, Their touring was also defined by a larger effort to remain environmentally conscious, which I thought was interesting. I did not know that. On the tour for Pretty Odd, the band worked with two nonprofit eco organizations, um, Reverb, which facilitates environmentally friendly touring, and Global Inheritance, which seeks to inspire more eco activism. So in a 2008 interview, Ryan Ross revealed that the band began traveling on a biodiesel bus, reusing plastics and recycling more backstage, which I think is really wholesome. And they went as far as to print tour booklets on recycled paper with soy ink. And they organized an eco contest, quote unquote, eco contest in which profits from the tour went straight to environmental organizations. So they got all woke. It's pretty cute. Using their powers for good. So, as if that change wasn't a hard enough left turn, then we get to Vices and Virtues, their third album. So, I'm doing this by era. I, I think there are so many eras of Panic! of the Disco, and it's largely defined by what album was coming out at that time. Yeah. So, 
that we're now into 2009. By spring of 2009, they started to record their what would be their third album. By July, July 6th, 2009, it was formally announced on the band's official website that Ryan Ross and John Walker would be leaving the band. Man. Big, big news. Yeah. Especially for me. Little context for you guys. Everyone was obsessed, and by everyone I mean me and, like, the MySpace people I was friends with. Everyone was obsessed with Ryan Ross and Brendan Urie, and they used to kiss on stage sometimes, and it was incendiary for my little closeted gay ass. (laughs) I was having a great time. So them breaking up was like them breaking, breaking up. up. Like it was, it was personal. I remember because I remember this happened in two thousand nine. So I was a senior in high school. I was I yeah. graduated high school in two thousand nine. So I was a freshman. It was like yeah. So this was like when they. It really felt like a breakup. breakup. Yeah. It, and not just like a band. It was like oh shit went down. Somebody's not in love with the, the other person anymore. Yeah, like, like they fucked on tour and they broke up. Like yeah. there were all these insane rumors. But like it felt like that because that really because that was the vibe also that, that they put out. And yeah, especially with the first album. But like yeah, I mean they had the same fucking haircut. You know, yeah. like who does that besides queer couples? It felt very much like a actual breakup because yes. I think everyone, at least in my world, <laughs> I was also a queen who was very into them but like in my world especially like we loved all of the members of the band yeah. but ryan ross and, and brendan yuri were definitely the creative forces behind everything yes. yeah it, lyrically i mean ryan ross wrote pretty much all the lyrics for the first two albums more so than yuri did and then yuri took the reins in what would become vices and virtues with spencer but um I can see yeah that. so it was a big split it was pretty catastrophic but on their end it seems fine. So I have this quote um, that I'm just going to fucking rip from Wikipedia. Sorry. But in an interview following the split, Ross explained that he first brought the idea to Smith in late 2009. So Spencer and Ryan had lunch mm. and basically had a conversation of like, what do you want to do? And Ross said, well, I think it might be best if we kind of do our own thing for a while. And... Um, Spencer said, I'm so glad you said that. I was going to say the same thing. So while they were making Pretty Odd, which is very retro vibe, it became very clear that it was like a once, it was like a pit stop along the way for Brendan, Mm -hmm. whereas it was really what Ross and Walker wanted to be doing. Yeah. And so at this point, they break off formally. Spencer Smith and Brendan Urie remain as Panic at the Disco, and they go back to their kind of pop, dancey roots. Yes, which is very obvious in Vices and Virtues. Yes, and then Ryan Ross and John Walker form the Young Veins, which is a straight-up throwback band. It's like, I bought the album, it's straight-up like... 50s, 60s, which Beach is Boys funny because like all Ryan Ross ever wanted to do was be a fucking Blink 182 yeah. cover band. So, like he is always he's multifaceted. Liked, yes, we love true. a multifaceted he's queen. Always liked old, you know. I mean, yes. He's always been in that world. Like it makes yes. sense for him to want to harken back to other eras. Right. Well, and when they talk about their influences in interviews, they're kind of all over the map. They have these pop punk roots, but they've all always been fans of Arcade Fire pretty publicly. They like experimenting and they like kind of playing around with sound. Um, 
So it wasn't shocking. And especially with Pretty Odd, it became really apparent that they love to harken back to things. But Brendan kind of always had his eye on a more pop kind of yeah. journey. And that's what will become what is now Panic! at the Disco to this day. It, it very much Brendan now taking the reins. Yeah. So Brendan and, Brendan and Spencer did Vices and Virtues. So the first Panic! single made without Ross and Walker, made only by Smith and Yuri was new perspective. Stop bearing, be corrected. I wanna live a life from a new perspective. You come along because I love your face and I'll admire your expensive taste and who cares if I which was released on July twenty eighth of two thousand nine. So top of July they announced that they split end of July brand new single baby. They did the song New Perspective and made a music video to go with it to promote Jennifer's body. There was merch surrounding it. It was a big, uh, it was a very smart business move, in my opinion, though it's not one of my favorite songs by them. It is one of their popular sounding songs, though, one of their more traditionally poppy sounding songs. So here's my hot take on Vices and Virtues. I missed the entire album. (gasps) I have never listened to it until today. It's one of my favorite albums. I know, which is why I've listened to it. Other than a few where you can't sweat out, I think I've listened to Vices and Virtues the most. I'm so sad I slept on it because I listened to it today in prepping this episode and I was like, how did I miss this entire album? I actually couldn't even tell you what New Perspective sounds like. Well, New Perspective is its own single that's totally unrelated to Vices and Virtues. Gotcha. It was just the first pursuit of Spencer and Brendan as their own um, unit. I also, and it well, sounds I tell you nothing anything. like... Because I, I think it's because like I went to college and I was very much just like, I'm shedding my high school self. I only listen to like... L City, I don't know, you know, I like my music. I listen to L City exclusively in high school. My, my music taste like really kind of dipped a little mm-hmm. bit like freshman year of college. Right. I was in music college, to be fair, so I was listening. I had to listen right. to a lot of like classical music. No, totally fair. That's really where my head was. This but album hit me at the Vices perfect time. Yeah, okay. Well, so this album dropped. I missed this entire album until today, and then I looked. I listened. I listened to yeah. it again. I was like. This is a decent album. Where the fuck was I? This album dropped in 2011. So quite a bit of time passed. Oh, okay. So I was so the well first college at this Yeah, point. the first Panic <laughs> single of just Brendan and Spencer together was in 2009. Okay. But by the time Vices and Virtues was like ready to go. No wonder I missed this entire album. Pun intended, ready to go. Another Panic song. Um, by the time this album was ready to go, it was 2011. So uh, it, this was probably the longest period between albums that yeah. had, they had experienced. Um... At this point, former guitarist of The Cab, the band The Cab, Ian Crawford, joins the band to tour with them. And then Dallin Weeks, who's the frontman of indie rock band The Brobecks, filled in for Ross and Walker on tour. So they toured uh, with Blink-182 in August of 2009. Oh, Brian Ross missed touring with Blink-182 in his, like, dream? That's so sad. Well, I think they had played with blink prior to that oh, okay. I hope so because poor little Ryan Ross I, just be like, it's I don't okay. think Ryan Ross is hurting he's thriving I'll get to that later oh, he seems to be good he was not for that <laughs> life um, but they did tour with Blink-182 so they were touring really heavily at this time and they had Dallin and they had Ian added on to the lineup though they were not formal members of the band they were just touring members yeah. of the band um, so in early 2010, Brendan and Spencer go back to the studio to record what would become Vices and Virtues, finally, after the gotcha, gotcha. So they kind of had a false start in 09. We're trying to come up with something. Clearly the band, were, they were going in two different directions. Yeah. Finally, they do go in two different directions. And then a year later, sit down to record the new album. 
Right. Okay. So that's where we're at. So the touring bassist, Dallin Weeks, became an official member of the band at this point in 2010. He was officially within the lineup of Panic for a couple of years. And um, though he did not perform on the, on Vices and Virtues, he was responsible for the conceptualization of the cover art, which oh, I did not which know. I like the cover it's art. It's sexy cover art. It's, uh, for those of you who don't know, you should Google it. But it's Brendan and Spencer sitting on these, like, thrones in this really cool, like, room. I don't know. It's a vibe. Um, what I didn't know was... He's on the cover. Dallin's on the cover. He's the boy in the mask behind them. Oh. Which is so <laughs> fun. I love that. So he's seen masked standing in the background behind Smith and Yuri, which I think is really cute that they were all like in it. And he was like, cool. I get your aesthetic. I get your vibe. Well, Even though he wasn't on the album itself, he still had a hand in it. Yeah. So Vices and Virtues was released March 22nd of 2011 to mostly positive critical reviews. And the first single off of Vices and Virtues was The Ballad of the Mona Lisa. It was released in February. So right, so like a full month before, a month and a half before the album came out, February 1st, they dropped their first single, Battle of the Mona Lisa. That music video, I would argue, was a huge moment. So the video for Battle of the Mona Lisa heavily references the original music video for I Write Sins, Not Tragedies that rocketed them to fame. They like redo it in a steampunk lens. Yeah. And it's so fun. And I will never forget when that video came out because all of my emo fucking friends lost our damn minds because panic was back we all liked pretty odd but this new era was totally a throwback to their first album totally back to their roots of like dancey synthy stuff vaudevillian kind of stuff now with a steampunk twist they totally rebranded again in my opinion a very fun and sexy way it was also 2011 so i was firmly in high school i was 16 years old at the time and this was like primo for me. March is when the album comes out. May is when they started to collaborate with the indie pop band Fun. Okay. Could this have come at a more perfect time? In <laughs> Rachel's life, she was obsessed with the band The Format. Frontman uh, Nate Roos, who the left The Format because The Format broke up because everyone got tired of him. And then he's like, I'm going to form a new band called Fun. Rachel Elkins was so obsessed with fun. I've seen fun live, I think, five times. Wow. I think five times. And then they collab together. Are you joking? So they released a single called Come On, and they both embarked on an American tour together. So fun actually opened for Panic, LOL. (laughs) Um, And then what I didn't know, same year. This is news to me. I've still never heard this song. I'm going to play it later, but... Panico Disco contributed a new song called Mercenary to the video game Batman Arkham City. I had no idea. <laughs> okay. They're, they wear a lot of hats. Okay. You know? So two very different markets. They also promoted Rock Band um, when they were new. Uh, a big part of the Pretty Odd Tour was them promoting Rock Band. Nine in the Afternoon, which is arguably the biggest single from that album, is featured in Rock Band. Oh. And they the Honda Civic Tour promoted that. So they actually have two very prolific, very cool video games that I enjoy oh, that they promoted in their career, which is fun and interesting. And they also did the Nintendo Tour, was their very first tour ever. So for some reason, Panic the Disco is very much associated with the world of video games. Wow. 
Yeah. So when they toured with Fun, on a personal note, that was the first time I ever saw Panic! at the Disco. I was deemed too young to see them before. I was finally allowed to go when I was 16. It was a gas. I just wanted to let you know, personally, Vices and Virtues means a lot to wow. me. Wow. Oh, kiss me. Hey, hey, we are a hurricane. Drop our anchors in a storm. Hey, they will never be the same. A fire in a fast to keep us warm. So then fast forward a little more, new era, new era, too weird to live, too rare to die is the album that yeah. follows vices and virtues during the recording of too weird to live, too rare to die touring guitarist, Ian Crawford, who joined the band in 2009, which I previously mentioned, he left the band, mm. but not only did he leave the band when asked about it, he said he wanted to make quote real genuine music Ooh. end quote. A little shady, Ian Crawford, yeah. a little shady. So Ian left, threw a little shade on the way out. God. And then they announced Too Weird to Live, Too Rich to Die in July of 2013. They announced that it would be released that October. So we've now skipped ahead to 2013. For reference, I'm a senior in high school at this point. I'm graduating college. Love it. I love <laughs> us. Um, so just for reference, Panic! the Disco opened for Fall Out Boy on the Save Rock and Roll Arena Tour. Mm-hmm. At this point, and Kenneth Harris replaced Ian Crawford during that tour, just for reference. I don't know who that is, but you know, whatever. Could have Googled, couldn't be bothered. <laughs> um, shortly before the band began its first tour in support of this new album, Spencer Smith wrote an open letter to fans regarding his abuse of alcohol and prescription medications. Oh, wow. So, pretty much from pretty odd onward, Spencer was struggling with addiction, and he wrote this amazing open letter. And he did join the band for the first handful of dates on the Too Weird to Live, Too Weird to Die tour, um, but then left the tour to, quote, continue fighting addiction, end quote. Wow. So at that point, Brendan Urie posted on the band's official website in August. So this is fast forward a little more. This is now August of 2013, before the album's even released. Um, he said, quote, it's become evident that Spencer still needs more time to take care of himself. I can't expect him to be fighting addiction one minute and be fully immersed in a national tour the next. With that said, the tour will continue without Spencer while he's getting, while he is away getting the help he needs, end quote. And since Spencer's leave of absence, Dan Polovich of the band Valencia filled hmm. in for him on tour. I remember Which Valencia. I, know. I remember Valencia yeah. too. So that's the Too Weird to Live, Too Rare to Die tour. There's not a lot of notes on that beyond that everyone from the original lineup's gone except Brendan, officially. Wow. Yeah. And then that album dropped in October. Um, I think it did fine. I don't, there wasn't any, there wasn't a whole lot of notes about it. It seems yeah. like less of a splash because they're already so established. That was one that I found later that I ended up loving. But I found it years and years yeah. ago. Yeah. Like, well, it had come out in the fall, so I had just started college. Yeah. So I hadn't quite, I kind of abandoned pop punk and like that kind of world yeah. when I started college as yeah. well. I was just kind of shifting gears and like seeing yeah. what I liked as an adult. Yeah. Um, but that album very much came with me on that journey because Too Hard to Live, Too Hard to Die which is a, I believe it's a Hunter S. Thompson reference. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think so. Shout Probably. Out. My father's Probably. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a Hunter S. Thompson reference. A lot of Vegas um, yeah. imagery, so totally makes sense. Hunter S. Thompson, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Um, the Miss Jackson video is very much like a CD Vegas hotel. Like, there's a lot going on there. Um, and it definitely was, in my opinion, it's poppier than Vices and Virtues. Um, it's a little bit of a different aesthetic. It's more, whereas Vices and Virtues was like a Victorian house, mm-hmm. I would argue that 
too weird to live, too rare to die is like a motel with a neon sign. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, how no, I define that's them. A, I would, yeah. <laughs> um, and I loved it. And it was also much more heavily queer. We'll get to this later. Yeah. One of my favorite songs by them. Uh, very queer. And I was very officially closeted. I was a freshman in college. I was very aware that I liked girls, but was pretending I didn't. Um, so that album, I internalized a lot with that album and had a really fun time with it. Just a personal note. Um, and at this point, there was a lot more queer imagery, more public. And I think Brendan really was especially open. I mean, they had always kind of blurred gender lines and been androgynous yeah. and been campy from the inception. And I think Brian Ross had a huge hand in that. But I think Brendan was coming into his own as a, essentially a solo performer. Like the band, obviously, I'm not going to discredit the band, but the creative kind of process was very clearly from Brendan. Yeah. And I think he was kind of finding his own voice at that point. And I think that album was really strong. If you love me, let me go. If you love me, let me go. Fast forward a little more. Yeah. Now we're into the death of the bachelor era. Was that 2015? So in an interview with Pure Fresh, never heard of it, on September 23rd of 2014, I don't know why that was important, but I copy and pasted it, Yuri stated that he had already thought about ideas on the fifth studio album. However, he was not sure if it would be a Panic at the Disco album right. or a solo album. If you think of Death of a Bachelor as a Brendan Yuri solo album, I think it makes so it makes much more sense. sense. Yeah, and does. that's, I think, part of why I never gave it the full shot I should have. I definitely enjoy that album. I did listen to it quite a bit when it first came out, but I don't come back to it hardly ever. Oh, I do. <laughs> Just for me. I mean, because it's it's Brendan. It's not Panic yes. to me. And we'll get to that as we True. as we progress. But this, this comes up a lot, especially in bands that start out as pop punk. Yeah. Whether or not they maintain the pop punk genre, I mean... Hello Goodbye is pretty much just Forrest now. Say Anything is basically just Max Bemis. Panic! The Disco is only Brandon Urie and his touring company, you right. know? There's something to be discussed there. And ideally, we'll do an episode about it in the future, too, just, like, really getting into it. But so he kind of alluded to the fact that he wasn't sure if Panic! was continuing or if it would be a solo album. On April 2nd of 2015... Spencer formally announced that he had left the band. We assumed, but we weren't sure there was the idea that he could come back and right. that they might collaborate on another album. By April of 2015, it was confirmed that that was not the case. Um, that same month, Yuri revealed in an interview with Kerrang! that he was working on new material. So at that point, so September 2014, we weren't really sure where we stood. And then by April of 2015, Spencer was officially out. Brendan was officially continuing Panic! on his own. Yeah, without any formal announcement or notice of any kind, the first single from Death of a Bachelor, which is entitled Hallelujah, was released yeah. on 420, Almost. 2015. Almost. Funny. Um, they just like threw it out there <laughs> and didn't didn't really promote it ahead of time. They just kind of dropped it out there. And I think 2015, especially with like Instagram's really big now and Snapchat, like all this shit, there's so many more social media outlets than where they were originally. And I yeah. think like in the Twitter sphere and stuff like that, like just dropping it and letting the world burn was like the way to go at this point, which I respect. So 
so on October 22nd of 2015, through the band's official Facebook page, Brandon Urie announced that the new album was called Death of a Bachelor and it had a scheduled release date of January 2016. Gotcha. Okay. So then he did actually formally announce. But a lot, a big span of time. So six months between the first single dropping and the album's release date drop. Yeah. And most of the bulk of a year in between, you know, like if I was more into them at that point, I would have been real impatient. Um, but it's the first, this is the first album in Panic History that's written and composed by Brendan Urie himself with a team of writers. Mm. So he had a team of writers with him. And the status of Weeks, Dallin Weeks, changed from an official member to that of a touring member once again. Because gotcha. he kind of took a step back and Brendan took the reins creatively. It sounds like Dallin seems super chill. He seemed yeah. like cool with it the whole time where he's like, I'm happy to contribute. I'm happy to step back. I just like playing with you guys. Like yeah. he just seems really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> He just seems really sweet. And I also like other am incredibly attracted like, to him. Yeah. <laughs> so, so fun fact. The Vice and Virtues tour, they wore suspenders. And oh, I was really into it. Um, anyway, so uh, it was rumored during the promotion of Death of the Bachelor that Dallin was no longer an official member. And then he confirmed it himself in October. Because uh, he said he was, quote, not contributing creatively anymore. End quote. So then at that point, the album dropped in January of 2016. Um, very much Brendan's own thing. He takes huge inspiration from Frank Sinatra and mm-hmm. has a tattoo of Sinatra. Um, and I think this is his Sinatra era, in my opinion. Death of a Bachelor is very much inspired yeah. by that. It's still very poppy, um, but it's like full pop at this point, yeah. in my opinion. We've like completely removed ourselves from the aesthetics of early Panic, and we've completely removed ourselves from any roots of like dancey synthy is like a little bit there but it's not pop punk it's pop <laughs> in a big way in my opinion and i mean like death it's of the like bachelor itself like almost. yeah like, well death of the bachelor the track itself is a frank sinatra song <laughs> it's just a new generation yeah. frank sinatra song essentially yeah. and he he adjusts his vocals as such how do i And then takes us to today, finally, after I talked for 80,000 years. Pray for the Wicked is their most recent album. I'll go through it quick because I'm sure everyone knows. In December of 2017, they released a special edition live album of Death Death of the Bachelor. They also released a Christmas single called Feels Like Christmas. And by they, I mean basically Brendan. Um, And then December 27th, Dallin Weeks officially announced his departure from Panic. So he was completely gone. After over eight years of performing with the band, he shifted his focus and he is the front man of the band, I don't know how, but they found me. Long name for a band, in my opinion, but I'm going to give them a listen. I had no idea. Interesting. And so then by, so that was December of 2017. By March of 2018, the band played a surprise show in Cleveland, Ohio, with their new touring bassist, Nicole Rowe. Rowe? So they have a lady bassist now, which is very cool. Hey. So she's touring with them actively Shout at this moment. Nicole. Yeah. And then in March, they released two new songs, which was Say Amen, Saturday Night and Parentheticals, and Fuck a Silver Lining. At the same time, the band also announced the Pray for the Wicked tour and a new album called Pray for the Wicked. So that was all kind of announced with those singles released all at once. And at this point, I was fully disinterested and had no idea any of this was going on because I could not be bothered. Exactly. (laughs) Sorry. It's not bad. I mean, it's not very good. But 
Personally, Zoe and I are not fans of Pray for the no. Wicked. Um, they also announced that in September of 2018, the band announced that their longtime touring guitarist, Kenneth Harris, would be dismissed following God. multiple allegations of sexual misconduct. Oh, God. Involving underage fans. Fuck. I didn't know that at all. Yeah. That was news Yikes. to me. Juicy. And recent. That was last September. So for those, <laughs> those of you listening, in case you're not listening the day of, uh, it's currently May of 2019 that we're recording this. So news to me. But yeah, in September, there was uh, sexual misconduct involving underage fans. So Kenneth Harris was kicked out, which good for them. Fucking ditch him. Fucking cancel him. Um, So his replacement was announced to be former Sparks the Rescue guitarist Mike Naren in October. So officially, as of last October, they got Mike and they got uh, their girl Nicole. And that's the new touring Panic! Disco. And they're featured in, I checked out their website, their current website now. They're they're like vlogging, essentially, their European tour. Mm -hmm. And the band's very much involved in it, and they're, like, in some of the press around it. So Brendan definitely, like, shares the spotlight to an extent. But he, it's it's very well known that, like, he's the front man. He's the creative mind yeah. behind it all. So currently, they're touring with this new lineup, and they just, as of this recording, they fairly recently released the single Me, which is Taylor Swift featuring Brendan Urie, not featuring Panic! the Disco, featuring Brendan Urie. Of Panic! the Disco. Like, that's the parenthetical on it. So. Of Panic! the Disco. So interesting politics there. Uh, I personally don't like it. I watched the video literally today. Okay, I just have to say the French that they try to speak at the beginning, they neither of them can the speak French. French. Stressed, the French stressed me it's, out and instantly turned me off. The VFX was French. very impressive. Yeah. Um, I hated it. I hate it. But I will say. So throughout I gave this, it a shot too. Yeah. Because I like Taylor Swift. She's fine. And I like Brennan I don't Harry. like her very much He's anymore. fine. Yeah. But to them together, I'm like, it's just so much blah. Well, here's what I'll say. I hate it. In yeah, light of my giant fucking book report I did. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> um, but in light of all of this, it's pretty clear that Brendan kind of always had his eye on being more pop-centered. Yeah. He's always loved camp. He's always loved theatrics. And he even said himself, he was quoted as saying, like, I miss wearing costumes. So he's kind of gone, gone more into that. And so the me video, I'm like, you know what? I don't like it, but I'm super happy for him because yeah, I think he's true. reached his creative potential and has found his own voice and his own brand. And he is truly a pop star in a lot of ways, but he's very alternative. He came out as pansexual. He is a queer icon. He's really living his best life and I'm happy for him, though I don't personally love the music he's been releasing. True. So, I, and I think it kind of, all of this clearly led us here. Like he is exactly where he's meant true. to be. Yeah, I would give him that. And I remember when Pray for the Wicked was released, I do think I read a quick article from him and he was like, yeah, I didn't anticipate putting out an album this soon after Death of a Bachelor, but he was like, I just happened to have all these songs and it just right. made sense. And it just kind of happened, which I right. get to some extent, but also like listening through the album, like you can kind of tell that it's like, there are a couple of standout songs that I enjoy, but for the most part, the album is... I don't find it very interesting and but I agree with you like he was on Broadway and Kinky Boots and I think you're right like he's always wanted to be he's very theatrical yeah he is and I appreciate that I, yeah. I think that's I love great. it I mean yeah. I love him in a costume I yeah. love his vibe his aesthetics yes but... he knows how to work a crowd yes he's very personable he's his very... vocals are insane oh my god I mean I could talk for hours about how talented of a singer he is but he truly is his Bohemian Rhapsody cover is wild he is a very talented singer he um, really don't I mean he just and I would hazard to guess he probably doesn't have a lot of vocal training so that's natural talent which is rare and pretty impressive that he's yeah. 
he's I'm sure had vocal coaches since like as he's been since 18 you know and, and been in this world um but he, you know I, he's really found a way to support that sound through a lot of different phases which is impressive because his he doesn't manufacture that sound. I mean, it's very much his own singing voice. He has an insane upper register that he, he can go into his falsetto, which is when like, um, guys singing that kind of light floaty high yeah. that happens, but he most of the time belts all the way up. So he mixes that chest voice with, I the, know it well with the head voice. So you don't get that kind of like floaty sound. It's just right. a high belt. Yeah. Which he is flexes in, in a big way. Yeah. It's insanely hard. Yeah. It's almost unheard of in, the really in the rock community to be able to do that successfully yeah. long term because it's so hard. And I will say props to him. He, I mean, he and Ryan have always been all over the map musically yeah. and have, I think for the better, been better musicians and performers because of their insane interests. But throughout their tour, like when I went to the Vices and Virtues tour, Brendan did a cover of Carry On My Wayward Son by Kansas, just uh, like for fun at the end, which also blew my mind because oh, Supernatural is my favorite show and I grew up with Kansas and I, there was just so much going on that night. I just Apparently, no. I feel like you need to just like uh, 20 minutes to talk about it was that. a journey but um yeah so he's he's been steadily covering these like classic rock songs but then yeah. really adding his own flair and his own insane vocal runs to them yeah. alongside all of this and he's still a pop star and he's still got this sinatra thing but he's still got this weird like arcade fire kind of experimental he's all over the place and i love that So I'll start with my boy Spencer. I love him so much. And doing this research, I didn't really, I didn't realize how much of the glue he was because he formed the band. He like, he and Ryan formed the band. They sought out the bassist. They sought out Brendan. And through most of their like quote unquote drama or even just like their changes, their growing pains of being a brand new band over the first two albums, Spencer was very much the mouthpiece and he was uh very well spoken and very he represented the band i think and he fought for his boys and i did a little instagram looking and beyond being so cute oh he's married his wife's adorable um so clean cut now look at his little wedding pictures this is not helpful for our listeners (laughs) but they post about their anniversary a lot he and his wife his instagram is pretty much just him and his wife being adorable and then just like him being cute as heck but he wow. seems to be thriving yeah. and what was very interesting to me is pulling up insta hello he has this post about the post is i'm beyond excited to announce my involvement with dcd2 and finally get to talk about the not so well-kept secret pete wentz and i've had for a minute now mm-hmm. so he's like fully in like DK dance and he's like doing the record label side of things with Pete Wentz, which I think is so cool. Yeah. So for all intents and purposes, I could have Googled and done literally any more research, but I, from what it looks like, he's like still tight. There's a really cute pic of, um, him and Brendan and Pete Wentz together. So they still hang. Wow. What a throwback. Well, and the caption is Blink-182 look pretty good for their age, which I think (laughs) is so funny. Um, (laughs) so he's very cute. He's very funny. He's on, he's more behind the scenes, I think, than anything else. So DCD2 Records, uh, they just promoted me, the Taylor Swift, Brendan Urie song. They mostly just post memes on their Insta, but they're, 
they seem to be thriving. And I think this totally makes sense to me that he would be on the more business side of yes. things, the more record labely side of things yes. because he's a creative and he's so talented and the proof's in the pudding, but he's always kind of been this leader Mm-hmm. And I love that for him. Yeah. Also, side note, I checked out his wife's Insta, and she's adorable. And he got her a Moira Rose uh, t-shirt for her birthday, and they rep Shit's Creek, which is my favorite show. So, just like a side <laughs> note. So, that's beautiful. And I checked, and it looks like Ryan Ross follows him. And I think he and Ryan Ross are still chill. And um, I don't know if Spencer follows him. I don't think Spencer follows Ryan Ross. I don't think anybody follows Ryan Ross. Because I follow all these people, and they'll usually tell me. Yeah. Literally, it just says Broad City and Gabe Supportive from Cover Starship. (laughs) Follow Ryan Ross. He also has a bunch... He's not verified, and he has a bunch of fake accounts that are, like, pretending to be him. Yes. But Ryan Ross... This is... I'm 99.9% sure this is his official Insta. Um, It's not verified, which is interesting. But anyway, he is also thriving, in my opinion. He is in LA. He's living his life. He does a bunch of shows. We should go. Okay. Um, but he's still in music in a big way. I think he was, it seems like he was pretty content to kind of do the more alternative kind of artsy experimental stuff on the side. Like mm-hmm. he pursued the Young Veins with John Walker right. um, back in the day, but he is performing in Highland Park a lot, like as Ryan Ross. Chill. But he also promotes a lot of his friends and their bands on his Instagram, especially like new singles and whatnot. And he's been in several music videos now. So I guess he's like acting for funsies, which is cute. So I want to like review all of these. He's like, I'm in this full video and like blah, blah, blah. And he's like posting all these cute pics. So he's still very much into music. I think he's just gone like the LA hipster route in a Uh way that the other boys did not. So like Spencer went a little more corporate, but in like a fun, creative way. Brendan, obviously major pop star. Ryan's like... Little Highland Park which, hipster boy. Which so much sense it feels right. for who they all yeah. were. Yeah. Totally feels right. Because Ryan was always kind of like, not the wallflower, but like the kind of quiet one that was very like introspective and just like deep and sensitive. Yes. And Brendan, of course, has just always been the, the, the drama queen. Like he's yes. the theater kid of the group. Yes. And that makes total sense. I kind of love that that's been right. the progression. Well, I think there's a huge difference between, well, not huge, but I think there's a decent difference between writing the like dramatic yes. introspective lyrics and performing, performing them. It. Yeah. And I know Ryan was originally supposed to be the lead singer, but I think there's a reason that yes. a fever you can't sweat out, which is largely his lyrics are performed by Brendan. Yeah. I think they really worked well together in that respect. I agree. So it's cool to see him like doing his own thing and being yeah. weird and edgy and continuing that kind of vibe. He's also still keeping it tight. He's so hot. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> They're all hot. They're all aging really well. John Walker is well, a not precious that old, angel. Are they? They're all like maybe no. In their they're 30s. All like in their thirties. Yeah. They were like eighteen years old yeah, when exactly. the band took off in two thousand five. So like eight years older than me. They're like in their thirties. Oh they're only a couple years older. <laughs> yeah, like they're chilling. But John Walker has this little Instagram that's just John Walker's photos. That's adorable. And it's, there's just like landscapes. <laughs> there's the occasional like text screenshot that are funny. He's just like living life. He's also not verified, but Ryan Ross does follow him. So Ryan and John still tight, which we assumed because yeah. they hello broke off together. So they're all they're all still creative. They're all still involved in music in some capacity, as far as I can tell. I don't yeah. know if John's like actively performing music or playing music, yeah. but he's still in the creative sphere in a big way. And I think it makes total sense that they would all go in those directions. Yes, it really does. Yeah, which is impressive. Like that they. Really I haven't checked on um Dallin though, who's really hot. I should check in on Dallin weeks later. <laughs> but he's a front man of the band so I think they're yeah. still performing and doing stuff and I think he went back to like being a front man yeah which good for him yeah. he's 
He was so hot in the Vice and the Virtue Storm. I just want to let you know. <laughs> Rachel's still not over that tour. I'm getting real revved up because like, we're going to do a sexy episode after this. And I'm like, this is foreplay, you know? <laughs> I just love panic so much. Um, so with that, I yes. feel like we kind of, yeah. you know, we talked okay. about the nitty gritty. We got into it. We know where the boys are now. Everyone's happy, hunky-dory, living their lives. With that, let's talk about our favorite jams. Do you want to lead in and do your three? Sure. So I have to say, before... When we decided to do this, uh, to do Panic as our first kind of band spose. Um, I love that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> For ranting guru. I know, thank you. Um, Rachel, so I actually suggested Panic, not because I'm like a diehard Panic fan, like to the core, but just because they, for me, were some of the first music in the whole scene that I really listened to because like yeah they came out and the band started in 2425 oh my god 204205 <laughs> Jesus and um it's in a day and I that was when I was getting into this, this whole scene. So if, to me, it really felt like we all started at the same time and they got really big. So I have a new found respect for the band because of just really hearing the whole, their whole saga and the changes that happened and why they made those changes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's a, it was a bold choice on their end to make such a drastic shift between their first two albums, that kind of, rebranding doesn't typically happen unless the first album bombs right the first album bombs it's it's if you want to continue you have to do a rebrand but it's so uncommon for a first album to succeed so highly and then for to immediately do such a left turn Mm -hmm. Um, i think bands do that after they've had like three or so albums and people are getting tired kind of of bored and they want to they want to explore with new sound yeah i mean the beatles but to just yeah such a hard left turn right out of the gate yeah so but again, for me, I always had a love-hate relationship with Panic, mostly because I enjoy the music. I think it's, for the most part, pretty clever. It's really rich in texture. They use a lot of instruments, a lot of live instruments. They use quite a bit of um, computer you know, pr- production on it. It's usually a big production if you're going to listen to a Panic album. Yeah. Um, and I, I appreciate that for what it is, because again, in that whole in the genre like Rachel said they don't quite fit in like they're not really the four piece that everybody knows but they they still have a similar sound and they have some of the same kind of fundamentals as like a pop punk band or an emo band mm-hmm. um i think one of the things that always turned me off of panic was the even early on the fans were polarizing mm-hmm. um fans were kind of rabbit like rabbit over them i mean it was i think it helped that all four of the the original line of the original members or even in the iterations have always been very attractive in the very conventional emo sense wilson side note i'll look him up um like they they're all very attractive and i think that maybe helped them you know like kind mm-hmm. of pretty helps sometimes but I, I do remember people being like very intensely in love with Brendan Urie when I was a teenager and it was, and him and Ryan Ross. And it was just, it was off-putting. It was difficult to like enjoy their music because of the kind of cult around them. Mm-hmm. So I, that was one of the reasons why, especially when I went to college, I was like, I don't need to be involved in this. Like I'm gonna drop off. And that's why I missed Vices and Virtues and didn't come back into them until after grad school. It was honestly hard to pick just three songs mm-hmm. uh, because of a they have so much music. And well, and every album is its own brand. Yeah, yeah, it's but really I, tricky. I do have 
my top three albums by then, and I, I think this would, would have, this would have been different had I known about Faces and Virtues before yesterday. Yeah. But my top Fair. three albums by then are Fever You Can't Sweat Out, Pretty Odd, and Death of a Bachelor. Um, and Fever You Can't Sweat Out again, because it's just, it's an, it's just an iconic album. I think it's, like Rachel said, it's just really well produced all the way through, even when it kind of shifts tone in mm-hmm. the second part. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I love Pretty Odd. Had they come out with Pretty Odd, I don't if, as their first album, I definitely don't think they would have seen the success right away. Yeah, I agree. But I do think that maybe they would have been able to stay within that genre longer because that is more that. I don't that think Brendan ever wanted. No, to. exactly. Like, and that's the thing. Like, they yeah. were never meant to be there as a band. I think it's interesting that they dabbled in that, and obvious. And now knowing that that whole album was based on Ryan Ross's like the death of his father, that like definitely brings a, a different gravitas and like and more interesting look at that album for me. Um, but I like it because honestly, it's it's a, it's really con- like contained within itself. It's nice. Um, I think they really went with like a new vibe and I, I like it. Um, and the Death of Bachelor, I credit that album with the reason why I listen to them now and the reason why I'm still kind of interested in, in Brendan mm-hmm. Urie and his trajectory. Uh, so the songs that I have off of that, this was, of course, so hard to find a, one song off of A Fever You Can't Sweat Out. Just mm-hmm. one. But I think my top song that has consistently, anytime it plays, no matter where I am or what what is happening, is Time to Dance. Give me every, give me malice, give me your attention. Give me every, give me malice, baby, give me a break. When I say shotgun, you say wedding. Shotgun wedding, shotgun wedding. Boys will be boys, hiding in estrogen, and boys will be boys. It's a classic. It is. And it's, it's, the, it's them in their purest form, because yes. it was one of their first demos they ever did. Yeah. It's on their first album. It's a fucking bop. The yeah. demo version and the regular version are both really fun. Yeah, exactly, right? It's just his I think that I love I how love, he comes in so hot with his high yes. ass notes. Well, that's the thing. This was this is one of the I mean, he's an amazing voice. We've talked about this, but this song in particular, I think off of this album really let him shine into the potential that his voice was going to have. So Time to Dance is the big one. I would say my honorable mention off of uh, A Fever You Can't Sweat Out is uh, Camisado, mm-hmm. for sure. Then my second is When the Day Met the Night off of Pretty Odd. Yeah. I love Nine in the Afternoon because it's dumb and whimsical and like, what the fuck does that even mean? Yeah. But when the day met the night is just such a, I don't know, it's just so calm. And it's a really sweet song. It's just a really sweet song. And I think, especially knowing now that like maybe there was more um, to that, you know, and the idea of maybe when the day met the night, like it sounds off the bat, you could see it's like, oh, it's like a love song kind of, but like, I kind of wonder if it's like, you know, like a, a way of describing like death or grief or like kind of bridging between um, just the two sides of, of life, right? Of, you know, the day and night. I don't know. I like, it's a beautiful song. I really, mm-hmm. I really enjoy that song. Um, I also think Brendan in that, specifically in that song, and I would say in the whole album has like, you can tell that he took a greater sensitivity to his performance and I wonder mm-hmm. if that was kind of like in reference to what had happened to Ryan Ross unclear good uh, point though and then my final pick 
is uh, I don't really have any night in the afternoon. I guess would, I would say is my like honorable mention off of Pretty Odd, but the rest of the album is is you know it's fine. It's not like I don't bump it regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, but my <laughs> the final uh, song that I have, and I'm every single roll of my eyes, there eyes at me, but I love L.A. Devotee <laughs> after death on a death of bachelor. I don't hate it. It's very much this. It's like, this is Brendan. This was his, like, I'm a pop singer now. But I'm still doing this, like, upbeat thing. I I really think it's interesting. So he sings L.A. Devotee on Death of a Bachelor. He has another song about L.A. in the the latest album, um, Pray for the Wicked, which is Dying in L.A. And it's much different tone of... in, in LA Devotee, it's kind of the like, yeah, like we all joke about like driving black cars and drinking white wine and like ah, this like fun LA lifestyle and like, you know, but I wouldn't change it for anything. Like it's so great. And then dying in LA is like, you're the starving artist, you're working your ass off, it's not happening for you. And it's a real journey, you know? Which living in LA as an artist, it's difficult. I like can't listen to Dying in LA, not because I'm worried about that happening to me, but like it's a little too real, especially because I got into this album when I knew I was gonna move to LA and Yeah, maybe it's because I'm a California kid. I fucking hate both the songs. I'm sure you do. I only no. recently like <laughs> am able to stand LA Devotee. I skipped it so much when I first listened <laughs> to Death of the Bachelor. And then like after, over time, I was like, you know, I get it. It's a cute song. It's fine. Yeah. I hate the other one. I hate Diana Light. I hate the whole album. Sorry. No, we'll get to me. Yeah. But but I think it's partially because I grew up in California where I'm like, this just feels like sure. we get it. Yeah. Yes. But I never romanticized LA in the same way that I think so many people do because I was near it enough that yeah. it wasn't like that, you know. I don't know. Um, but I respect that. And that's very sweet. <laughs> and I understand why you love it. It was really hard for me not to pick a song from Too Rare to Live, Too Rare to Die. I love that album in full. Actually, I probably play that album more on a loop than I do any of their other albums currently. Interesting. Yeah. It's I their lo- queerest album. It is. I love that album. Colorful is one of my favorites off of that with being honorable mention. Um, uh, you know, girls slash girls slash boys, of course. Uh, okay, like, stop talking about duh. that. Stop talking about that. And album. then... Uh, the end of all things is one of my favorites. That happens. We could not be more up. Op- you keep picking the songs that I like skip the most. Really? <laughs> I love. No, I don't hate them. Yeah. I like those songs, yeah. but I skip past them for other songs so yeah. often. The end of all things. It's a really pretty song. It's it just is, heavy. It is. I think it. It usually comes in. Uh, it's funny because like that song will come on in my car, and it'll either come on when I'm like having a moment and I'm like going through it, and it's mm-hmm. just like this really beautiful emotional oh, thing. Oh yeah, no doubt. Or That's why I skip it because I don't want to emote. Yeah, but or it'll come on when like something like really funny is happening, like outside of um, like somebody weird is crossing the street or like something dumb happened, and yeah. then I'm just like, this is it's like a meme at that it, like memes itself at that point. Anyway, I, I would say yeah, those are definitely my honorable mentions. Um, if I had to pick a, one off of Vices and Virtues, it's uh, Ready to Go, Get Me Out of My Mind. I that song is fun. I don't know the album very well, but that's one it's of the ones. One. That whole album's super yeah. fun. And then the only thing off of Pray for the Wicked that I will listen to is one of the drunks. It's the only song off that album I enjoy. Yeah. I just nodded heavily for yeah. the listeners. I, I fucking hate Pray for the, the Wicked. Rest, I'm sorry. Yeah, the rest of that album is 
I feel wicked is the Matt Skiba of Panic at the It kind of is. I right? understand. Sorry, I get why people yeah. stand it. I can't. It's, it's the Matt Skiba of Panic albums for me. It just like <laughs> for whatever reason. I and I've listened to it like a handful of times all the way through. And but every time one of those songs come out, I'm like, Ugh. the Roaring Twenties song. I can't. The whole album, I, I can't. can't. It's a 34 minute long album, and I felt like I was pulling my fucking teeth out trying to listen to it all the way through this week. Yeah. Sorry. Well. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts? Um, <laughs> no, I. It's just I have a, a different respect for Panic at this point. I have oh, more yeah. respect for Panic. There, I, I. I'm interested to see what happens to Brendan Urie. His mm-hmm. collaboration with Taylor Swift is is big for him. Yeah. It's big for that record label. It's fun. I hate that song. Sorry, I, I like. I like both of them too. That yeah. was the hard part, but I just cannot stand that. The song. video was really cool. Yeah, I get it. I hated the French part. I'm like, oh, the 1975 did it better. So... Goodbye. I just... Yeah, I get it. I'm happy for them. They're yeah, doing what they want exactly. to do. It's not for me. Yeah, exactly. Right, which and sucks because yeah. I like so many things. I like most things. Yeah, I wanted to like it, and I yeah. will say that I think I'll like Taylor's probably. I probably will like her new album. I rarely like the singles that come off of her albums. Oh, I'm over like... her right now. Ever since the <laughs> Reputation era, I'm like, I'm out. Yeah, every song she releases just sounds like a different pop star that's not her, and I'm like, stop chameleoning and be your own person. Thank 1989 you. 1989 was such a great album. Yeah, I just want it was a great album. <laughs> yeah, because that felt it was her though. Yeah. It was about her. Anyway, not a podcast about Tisa. <laughs> So, all right, so may I? Yes. Okay, so I also had to choose three songs. I will note, Zoe didn't mention it. I'm not going to name it. My favorite Panic song of all time, I'm using in another episode. So I'm not bringing it up in this on purpose. I'm not going to tell you what it is until it's time for the new episode. But stay tuned because my favorite Panic song of all time, I'm actually not going to talk about. But my, um, so I was kind of oscillating between Fever, Pretty Odd, too weird and um vices and virtues obviously those are like the four that i'm really with it on double bachelor's fine i listened to it a little bit when it first came out i listened to it all the way through a couple times there's some tracks on there i do really enjoy um proof of the wicked i just can't fucking do it i can't fucking do it i finally listened to it all the way through this week on purpose and prep for this and i only have i pretty much only have not good things to say about it it's objectively well done I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'll say about that. So I kind of focused on the the earlier albums. Um, so we spoke a lot about Pretty Odd. So I'll, I won't talk too long about it. The song that I cherry picked from that album is That Green Gentleman. Things are shaping up to be pretty odd. Little deaths in musical beds. So it seems of someone I never met. Yeah. Things have changed. I also really love the very first track, but it's like a minute long. So yeah. I didn't want to, I felt like that was a cop out, but just the like, <laughs> we're so sorry. We've been gone. We were busy writing songs for you. It's just it's like so, so cute. cute. But that green gentleman, I think embodies them um, at that time. Yeah. And things have changed for me, but that's okay. I'm still the same. And it was, they've always been really hyper aware of their position within the scene and the scene itself and the fan base within it. So I think a big chunk of Pretty Odd was just them like confirming like we're still the same boys. We're just exploring. Like it's fine. We're not the last and I love that. We're the like kind of found a home. Yeah. Well and also they're quite literally coming of age. Like yeah. they're legally drinking at this point, I think. They're you know, Ryan Ross lost his father. Brendan Yuri got kicked out of the house and like left his faith for the most part, as far as I know. Like they all went through a lot at that time. Yeah. 
and things have changed for them, but they're still like the same boys. They're still in a band. They love their lives. They're living their lives. And I think that song really embodies that. So I picked that off of Pretty Odd. I also just love Pretty Odd. I had a huge Beatles phase in my youth too. So like Pretty Odd came out right when I was kind of finishing that phase of my life. I still love the Beatles, but you know. So this was like, oh, it was like a perfect marriage for me. Yeah. Um, I was really torn between A Fever You Can't Sweat Out and Vices and Virtues. As you can tell from this entire episode, those are my two favorite albums, hands down, and I listen to them both the most to this day as a grown-ass adult. Um, but I I landed on, shockingly, Fever You Can't Sweat Out. I didn't choose, I didn't formally choose in my three anything from Vices and Virtues. What? But that was like because your huge experience. Let me, let me explain. Okay. So Fever You Can't Sweat Out, I love. We talked about it at length. We talked about it the most, I think, out of any of the albums. Um, Vices and Virtues is very much an extension of it. I think it's very much Spencer and Brennan kind of finding their their own voice within that aesthetic, which is part of why I love Vices and Virtues so much. I think that whole album is so strong, and I love so many songs off it that I couldn't choose just one. I just love that whole era of them. But it's an extension of Fever, and you have to come back to Fever every time. Like, Vices would not have existed without Fever. So I picked Fever, and my track that I picked was I Constantly Thank God for Esteban. That was, yep. And again, it's one of those things where they're so hyper aware, even before they blew up, they were hyper aware of the scene itself, of the emo movement. They literally say like the wrists that you allegedly slit and they're like questioning these emo kids and they're very aware of the scene itself. And then it's has the most religious imagery, I would argue, of any of the songs on that album. And so people think like, oh, Brendan was raised Mormon. Clearly this is where this all came from. But no, actually, Ryan Ross wrote the bulk of the lyrics for this album and he went to Catholic school as a kid. So this was a huge reflection of him being like an angsty former Catholic kid, which hello, me, I relate to that heavily. I'm still like, we won't get into it, but like, I'm still like pretty tight with JC. Like I'm, I'm a faithful person, but I did grow up in like going to Catholic church and like having my own journey of being a queer person, being an artistic person, being an emo kid, whilst also kind of making peace with my own faith. So that was huge for me. And likening the scene to a parish was like mind blowing. I thought that was like high art. It's still to this day so interesting and such a great extended metaphor. So I picked that song specifically off that album. Finally, I love Ice and Virtues, didn't pick it, sorry. Girls, Girls, Boys, Off Too Weird to Live. That's why I'm like, stop talking about this album because I was like so ready to talk about it. But I agree. I think it's that this is the only single I picked. I tried to not pick singles just to kind of do a deeper dive because I feel like a lot of us know the singles and I wanted to like get into it. But Girls, Girls, Boys. Girls, Girls, Boys is a really fun song. It's a very queer song, obviously. Um, I think Too Weird to Live, Too Weird to Die is their queerest album. I think there's so much great gender fluidity and queer undertones in all of their work, but I felt it most in Too Weird to Live. And maybe that's because I had just come out when that album came out. I fully admit that that might just be me, but that's what it means to me. And I love that album and I think it's a sexy album but it's very artistic it's very interesting i feel like i'm like in the fucking vegas desert next to a neon sign just like being gay that's what i feel like when i listen to that album in a good way mm-hmm. and so i love it and i had to pick that in the video do yourself a fucking favor revisit that video you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> 
Excellent. Well, so if you guys liked this, we we plan on doing this again with other bands. Bands sure. that are really influential in the scene. Um, not just emo bands. I mean, definitely some pop punk legends. Uh, but we wanted to give it a try with Panic right now just because they've, they had had such a journey and we're still creating music yes. today. Still very much relevant. Um, so that's why we chose them. So if you listen to this whole thing, thanks for hanging in there. Yeah, really, God bless. Yeah. <laughs> but I hope, tell us like your thoughts. What, what did you think of Panic when, I, when they came out? Yeah, do what does Panic mean to, to you now? Do you, yeah. do you only listen to the new stuff? Do you only listen to the old stuff? Yeah. Do you only listen to like their middle album? I don't know your life. Yeah. Do you only listen to the Young Veins? Let me know. Yeah. Does tell- anyone listen to the Young Veins? Hit me up because I <laughs> bought that physical copy of that album when it came out and I don't know a single soul who did uh, that. I definitely didn't. I couldn't name one of their songs. I couldn't either, but I owned the album. <laughs> if you went to that Vices and Virtues concert around the time Rachel went, uh, please also. Fun and Panic Vices oh and Virtues tour. Hit me up. Slide into my DMs. Let's talk about it. Because Rachel's obviously still not over it. So I'm having <laughs> a good time. Um, Thank you so much for listening to us on A Work to Remember. Yes, bye!